Good evening, everyone. Wonderful to see you again. Uh, this is a new year, a new time. We're beginning from the beginning, from Bereshit. First, let me tell you what we're going to do this year. What we're going to do this year is something that I, I was planning on doing for many years, uh, which is that every week we're going to focus specifically on the first part of each parsha, of each weekly portion. Each portion is divided into seven segments that correspond to the seven days of the week, and it's customary to study on Sundays the first part, and then on Mondays the second part, and so on. And then, of course, on Shabbat, we read the, the, the whole parasha. So, since this is the year Tafshin Pei Aleph, 5781, so it's a good year because we have one at the end uh, to learn just the first segment, the first aliyah, the first part of each parasha, and hopefully, if this goes on, the next year, which will be Tafshin Pei Bet, too, it'll be the second segment of each parasha, and so on. So, the generally speaking, the the different segments of the of each parasha correspond to the seven lower attributes in Kabbalah and Chassidut, which uh, embody the the emotional, the emotive powers of the soul. It's chesed, gvura, tiferet, right? Loving kindness, fear, and compassion, and all the seven attributes of the soul according to Kabbalah. It's the seven lower sefirot. So, if this year we're only focusing on the first segment of each parsha, it's really the chesed segment. So, we're going to have a whole year of chesed, a whole year of loving kindness. And this is especially true regarding this parsha because um, this parsha the first segment of this parasha, describes in one small segment the entire creation of the world in seven days. So it's the first story of creation, as we all know. There are two stories. Chapter 2, beginning from verse 4, begins a second story, which focuses on man and the sin and the banishing from the Garden of Eden. But the first story is just from a bird's eye view, eye point of view, it tells the story of the entire creation over seven days. So the, the famous verse says, Olam chesed The entire world is created with loving kindness. Although there are seven attributes, the first one is in many ways the most dominant one. And the entire world is created first and foremost out of this power that Hashem has to love something other than Himself. That's why He creates the world. He creates the world so we can display this love for us. So the entire world is, is created with chesed. So we want to focus on the first segment. Uh, part of this is in order to help me choose the topic each week, because the, each parsha has so many things going on. And if I know that I'm limited to the first segment, it really helps. In this case, it's only, it, it, it's only a part of the solution, because it, because this one segment is the entire creation of the world in seven days, with so many things going on, even within this limited uh, space. So what we want to focus on, we want to zoom in even more and focus even more. We want to focus just on the first day. And more particularly, we want to focus on just the first two verses, which are, Bereshit bara Elohim et ve'et in the beginning of creating the heaven and the earth, by God, right? It's, you can translate it in so many ways, it's really impossible to translate. But it, usually it's in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, but as Rashi points out, it's incorrect to read it this way. 
it's it's more precisely in the beginning of God's creation of the heaven and the earth. And then the second verse is, And the earth was tohu vavo. That's mainly what we want to understand today, is what is tohu vavo. It's traditionally translated as chaos, sometimes it's void, and it's a very unique term. It repeats in some other times in the, in, the, in the Bible, but it always alludes to either the creation of the world or to dissolving something and, so to speak, bring it back to the state that it was before creation. So, tohu vavohu. So, the areta and the earth was tohu vavohu, this kind of chaotic two-word cryptic term. V'choshech al pnei tehom, and there was darkness upon the void. And the Spirit of God hover, hovered over the waters. So we want to get a little bit, you know, it's a huge, it's the biggest topic of all, really. It's the beginning of everything. We're touching upon the most, the deepest, most primal, most pristine essence of being. So it's almost impossible to, to talk about in a way. It's something that... When we're thinking about the beginning of the world, we're thinking about the beginning of being, we're thinking about the beginning of ourselves. We can't remember the beginning of ourselves in time because we ourselves were in a kind of tohu vavo, a kind of chaotic pre-conscious state. We also, looking deep into us, into ourselves, not just going back in our memories, but deep into ourselves to find the, to find the point of beginning, the, the, the root of essence of our soul is also a near impossible task because as just like the tree's roots are hidden beneath the ground so the root of everything is hidden beneath the ground the root is always hidden this is why the first verses of Genesis of Bereshit are so so cryptic and they have so many different interpretations to give to them so we want to focus on something really really well again it's, it's huge also But the, the question we want to open up is two questions, and they're really interconnected. One is, what happened before creation? What was there before creation? Was there anything before creation? There are many things written about this. And the other is, what is the meaning of the tohu vavo in the beginning of creation? And the reason the two questions are so connected is that in many ways, the, 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 the reason The universe begins in this chaotic tohu vavohu state, is that this is a remnant of whatever it is that was there before creation. So the beginning is still unorderly. It hasn't been put into place, because you can tell it's the beginning. It's emerging out of the unknowable essence of God. And because it, it is just now emerging from this unknowable realm, un perceivable realm, there's something about the way the universe is, this tohu vavohu, which reflects the unknowability, the unfathomability of the divine. So the world in its first stages, there is something about it, although it's chaotic, and it doesn't make sense, and it's all jumbled, and nothing is in place, and you can't make out differences, which is generally considered a negative state, and 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 this is the first step in, in evolving and building the world, despite all this, there's something about this chaotic stage which re is reminiscent 
which bears the stamp or the, the fingerprints, so to speak, of the divine. It is just now coming out of the divine. It's just like a baby that's being born. A baby is the sweetest, most beautiful thing in the world. Nobody can, can stand the sight in, the, in a positive way, can, can remain, um, you know, um, uh, indifferent. Uh, in the sight of a, of a small child, small baby, it's the sweetest, most beautiful thing in the world. But when it comes out, it's covered in blood and, and all kinds of things. And, and, and it's, it's weird. It appears to be ugly, but it's, that's part of, of that, that's the way it is that, that things begin. They begin dirty, although the, but, but there's beauty in this seemingly dirty or un, um, you know, unpleasant sight. So this is the, so the two questions are connected. What was there before the beginning, and in what way is the tovavo connected to this beginning? And also, how does this state of uh, primitive being, unorderly, preorderly being, uh, bears the stamp of the highest divine light? How these how do these two opposites go together in the state of tovavo? So we want to start by by saying the, the following. It, it, is, it is an age-old question whether there was something before creation. As we said, the English Christian translation, which has become the most famous line in the world, in the beginning, Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. But as we saw, it's a, it's a false translation, or at least it's not the only translation possible and not the first one that we would think about. The more precise one is in the beginning of God's creation of the heaven and the earth, then the earth was tovavo, was null and void, or whatever those words mean. So it doesn't mean it's really the beginning. It just says that when he started creating the heaven and the earth, then this is how it was. But it doesn't necessarily imply it's the first thing that's going on. And this... This has been given many different answers. So we want to start by something very beautiful, which is to look at three answers, which are really uh, three ideas of a letter, a single Hebrew letter that preceded the bet of Bereshit, right? Bereshit begins with the letter bet. Bet is, of course, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph bet, alphabet. So bet is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. But ironically, or interestingly, it's the first letter of the Torah. The Torah does not begin with the letter Aleph. It's the age-old question. The entire message of the Torah, in a way, if we, can, if we can try and give one message to the Torah, is that there is one God, not a duality or a plurality of gods. It, the Torah is coming into a world that's polytheistic, and it wants to convey the message that there's one source for everything. So why does it start with the second letter? which connotes duality, because being the second letter, its numerical value is, of course, two. So the word says, says something about the letter, just being the letter bet, uh, suggests this is like the second chapter. And there was a first chapter, there was a missing chapter, the, the missing first chapter. So, so there are three different answers to which letter could or may have preceded the first letter of the Torah. And there are different letters, but they come together into it's something very beautiful. So the first answer, which is the basic Kabbalistic answer, is that before the Bet, there was an Aleph. But the Aleph is hidden. And in fact, the word Aleph, if 
if you transmute the letters of the word Aleph, you have Pele. Pele means a hidden wonder. It's the root of wondering, and it's, it also means hidden. So, and, so Aleph, which suggests one and unity, is there invisibly before the Bet. What does this mean? So the Aleph is God, the one God, the one, the unity behind everything, the unity behind the perceived duality and plurality of the world. The Torah begins with Bet because it reflects the way we perceive the world. We perceive the world as being made up of dualities, right? The heaven and the earth and creator and creation, it's all dual. But behind the duality, there is a non-duality. There is a unity, which is the Aleph. So the Aleph is God. And in fact, one of the uh, one of the, the names that God has is Alufo Shel Olam, the Aleph of the world. It also means the champion of the world, but it also means Aleph, the Aleph of the world. So before Bet, there is a hidden Aleph, and that is the, 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 the hidden unity, divine unity behind everything. It also tells something for us. It tells us that we can't just open the Tanakh, open the Torah in Genesis, and just begin reading, just like any other book of history, philosophy, or fiction, or whatever it is. It's not a regular kind of book. You have to do something beforehand. You have to create some connection with this hidden unity. You need to have emunah, that also begins with Aleph. And you need to have this, you need to realize that this is, if you're going to read it like a regular book, you're not going to get it. You're going to start from bit. And just like someone going into a, a movie in the middle, you're not going to get what's happening. You're going to think it's a, it doesn't make any sense. That's because you need to do something before you start reading the book. You need to fill in the hidden Aleph the Torah is telling you by starting with Bet, hang on, in order to get, the Aleph is up to you. You need to, to look at this book as a divine revelation, as something that tells you something deep and meaningful about the world, as something which isn't just surface appearances. It's, you need to have faith, which means looking inside. That's, this is why the Aleph is hidden. So that's the first explanation. It has to do with the unity of God and also us connecting to this unity. Second answer, totally different answer. Second answer is, we are just coming out of Simchat Torah. Simchat Torah is the holiday just after Sukkot in which we finish reading the Torah at the last parasha, Zot Bracha. This is the blessing, the, the final portion of the Torah. And then immediately, we're sort of rewinding extremely fast and, you know, Simchat Torah is all about going in circles. We're dancing in circles around the Torah. So the biggest circle is that we're finishing the Torah and then we're coming full circle and beginning at the very beginning. So many interpreters have said, in many ways, the Torah is cyclical, or at least it's, it's a kind of spiral. We want to spiral up each throughout the different years. So as we're finishing the Torah and we're tying it back to the beginning, it's really one infinite text that's, that the end is wedged in the beginning and the beginning is wedged in the end. So what are the final words of the Torah? They are, Le'einei kol Israel, In the eyes of all Israel. The, the entire verse is, it's summing up, Moses, Moses has died at the final eight verses of the Torah, and it's summing up what he did. And then he says, Ve'lechol hayad 
the entire strong arm or hand, which connotes the coming out of Egypt, which was done with a powerful hand, the mighty hand of God. All the great fear, this connotes the giving of the Torah, which was an awful event, an event of awe. That Moses did in the eyes of Israel, and according to the interpreters, the eyes of Israel, or before the eyes of Israel, is him breaking the tablets as we were sinning with the golden calf, which is very strange. It's like the end of the Torah suddenly reminds us of our worst sin, which is the creation of the golden calf. But this is how it ends, with the word Israel, and the final letter is, of course, Lamed. So if you tie in the Lamed of Israel to the Bet of Bereshit, you get the word Lev, which is the heart. Right? The word love in English comes from the word Lev in Hebrew. So the, the end of the Torah is tied to the beginning of the Torah, and what makes this connection, the link that creates the, this connection is the heart. It, and we can say that we're reminded of our sins at the end of the Torah so that we can rise and begin again. It rectifies our hearts, our live. We have the Lamed of Israel, which is who we are. In many ways, the entire Torah is driving towards having this special light called Israel, the people of Israel and the land of Israel with the, the, the Torah of Israel, all this to appear in the world. This is the purpose of the Torah. It begins with Bereshit, ends with Israel, but then Israel, that sin and that fall and that are fallible, it goes back, ties back into the beginning, and we rise again. We rise out of the ashes, so to speak, like a phoenix. So the Lamed is another answer for the letter that precedes the bit. Different answer. The first answer was Aleph, a hidden Aleph. The second is a not hidden Lamed. It's, it's not hidden. It's just at the very end of the Torah. And if you tie it back together, you see it's the letter that precedes the bit. So in this, according to this answer, the Torah, the main focus here is not on the beginning, on what caused the world to become, the hidden unity that creates the world. It's about the purpose of the world. And the purpose of the world is to have this entity called Israel appear in the world in its fullest. And of course, we want this light to reach all the nations. It's not a national concept. And, and then it ties back to the beginning because we, it's an infinite process, an infinite spiral by which the world becomes more and more divine, more and more godly. So this is the second answer. Third answer is, is another very different one. Third answer is, um, it's said that the Torah was written, was given, or was written in the, in the, in the heavens with a black fire upon a white fire. And the idea is that the letters of the Torah themselves, which are, of course, written in, bl in black ink, in, in, in our world, in this world, it's black ink, but in the heavens, it's black fire. But the thing is that what for us is the white spaces between the letters, the scroll that is not covered with ink. So the negative spaces in the heavens, they're also part of the Torah, and it's called the white fire. It's black fire upon white fire. So the idea is that the Torah is twofold. Well, every text, it's, it's true for every text, but the Torah is the, the book of books and the text of texts. So the idea is that there's the revealed dimension, which is the black letters, the black fire, 
And this is the coherent level. We can understand what it means. We read the letters and we see what they mean. But there is a negative space between and around the letters, which is a sort of inverse, negative, hidden, un unreadable, or at least not readable in any regular sense, text. It's another alphabet, which is, which is the white fire or the white spaces around the letters. And the idea, is, of course, is it goes together with the well-known idiom that you should read between the lines. The idea that you should read between the lines is that every text and every idea says much more than what it overtly says. And you need to listen more closely. So this is the most fundamental concept in learning Torah. And there is the text that you understand, and then there is, it's called in Kabbalah, the surrounding lights. The white space, the white fire is the surrounding light. It's something that the Torah doesn't say in words, because it, those shapes don't have meaning, regular meaning, but it's all the infinite amounts of hidden layers and hidden meanings that are... Um, that uh, uh, they stand as a kind of aura. They surround the, the revealed level as a kind of aura. And it invites you to go deeper and try and figure them out. Now we said it's no regular alphabet and it doesn't make any sense. It needs, you need to listen, to tune in, like into the sound of Kold Mamadaka, the sound of, uh, the, the, the sound or the voice of silence, of subtle silence. And it's silent. It's not letters. It can't, it can't be read. It can't be read either out loud or read in your eyes. But it's there, and you need to tune into it. But there is an exception to this rule. Because there is one letter in which the, in which the white negative space absolutely has a distinct shape. And this is the letter pay. The letter pay, uh, when you look the way it's written in the Torah, the way a Torah scribe, Sofer Stam, Write it on the scroll. If you look closely, you can see that the inside white space creates the exact shape of the letter bit, the second letter. So within every pay, there is a hidden silent bit, which is like a, a, a fetus in a, a, the fetus in a womb, and it's hidden. The pay is pregnant with a bit. And of course, uh, phonetically, they're also very similar, right? Because uh, p and b, um, like in Hebrew, the word for father is Abba, and so the main consonant here is ba, and in, in most letters it's pa, in, in, in English it's pa or father, pa, pa, pater, so pa and ba really go together. So here it's the, within the pe there is a bit, within the p there is a b. So if this is true for every pay that there's a hidden bet within it. We can also say that every bet has a hidden pay around it. So the first bet of Bereshit is surrounded by a hidden white fire, very large, because the bet itself is already larger than usual. But be, uh, around this bet, there is a hidden pay. Now, in Hebrew, the word pay means mouth. So the idea of this third answer is that the Bereshit, which according to the sages is one of the, is the first utterance, the first verse, although it doesn't say, and God said, it doesn't say that God said anything. And in fact, God is mentioned in the verse, Bereshit Barai Lokim. The first verse in and of itself is the first utterance of creation. 
So it's coming out of God's mouth, so to speak. So the pay, the invisible pay is the invisible mouth of God, the surrounding light that surrounds this entire universe. According to Kabbalah, God created a space in, within which to create the world, and he himself remained in a surrounding light state, so to speak. So this is embodied beautifully in the hidden, invisible pay around the bit. So in many ways, these three answers, the first is Aleph, second is Lamed, the third is Pei, the Aleph that, that you extrapolate, that needs to be before the, uh, the bit, and then the Lamed, which is at the very end of the Torah, and finally the Pei, which is there, and you can almost see it, you can imagine it, because you have the, the bet is the negative space of the of the of the pay. These three answers, in many ways, are like three different answers to what, how was the world created, or why it was created, or what happened before it was created. The first answer is, it's coming out of God. God created it in the past. He was the first cause, the Aleph before the bet. Second answer is it has a purpose at the end. It's not a, this, the second answer talks about the end, not the beginning. The, the purpose is that we have a people that embody the essence, the spiritual essence of Israel, which is a, which is man acknowledging God. And this is the ultimate purpose and, and it's wedged in the beginning. The world was created for this purpose. So it's there from the beginning. And the third answer is God is omnipresent at all times right now. It's not like the bet has come out. When we say something, our words come out and dissipate into the air. But the bet is always within the pay, within the mouth of God. So God is right now in the present. So we have a past, future, and present. Within the present, God is omnipresent in the present and uttering the world into being in every moment. Bereshit, Bereshit. And the most beautiful thing is that if you take the three letters, Aleph, Lamed, and Pei, it creates one big Aleph, another Meta Aleph. There's the first micro Aleph, and then Lamed and then Pei, and this together creates a macro Aleph, a one big Aleph. Again, Aleph has to do with unity and something that's hidden. So this is something very beautiful uh, to contemplate when we're beginning to read the Torah. So all this is just one, just a, a way of looking at how the divine light that precedes the world is present in all kinds of ways when the world is coming into being. Now we want to go back to the topic of Tovavo. So Tovavo, again, as we said, are very cryptic words, and they have a lot of a lot of meanings. So the main meaning given by by Rashi and also by Unclus, the translator, is that it has to do with emptiness, with a void. And also with uh, a sense of astonishment or bewilderment. In Hebrew, the word tohu goes to, is the root of tehiya, which is to wonder at something, why it's happening, and not understanding, standing there and being, you know, puzzled and not understanding. And Rashi also uses the word lishtomim. Um, Lishtomem goes with the word desolation. Lishtomem is also to wonder or be puzzled by something, but it goes together with the word desolation, which is again emptiness. So we have something that's empty or that's all jumbled. It's like a state of 
chaos, a state of either something after it was destroyed or just before it was created. Then you have some deeper interpretations that, and in the Gemara it says that Tohu and Bo are two different things. Tohu is, and this is, again, goes with the idea of the surrounding light, the pay around the bit. Tohu is a line of light that surrounds the universe. It's called Kav Yarok, a green light, but green could also mean something like golden or glowing. So Kav Yarok here is a light, a kind of light that surrounds the entire world. And Bohu is something very, the exact opposite. Bohu are, is the stones at the bottom of the abyss. It's like the most mundane, earthly, inanimate matter that's at the bottom of the abyss and the water comes out of it. So it's the two ends of the, it's the Tohu is the surrounding light and Bohu in many ways is the center, the most material core center of the universe. It's just like, again, imagine old cosmology, the earth at the center, stars and planets surrounding it, and then divinity surrounding all this. So if you go with this picture, Bohu is at the very center, it's the physicality itself, the inanimate lowest level of, of being, and Tohu is the light around this. This explains to us why Tohu became such a dominant word in Kabbalah, whereas Bohu did not. Bohu is more an earthly version, it's, it's earthly chaos. It's the chaos that we're all afraid of, that nobody wants to fall into. It's the chaos of the abyss, of the stones and the water, and, the, and it, you drown in that chaos. And you need to be careful, you need to at least float, if not swim or fly or whatever it is, you don't want to sink into this chaos. This is Bohu, so it's a negative kind of chaos. But Tohu becomes, once you make this distinction, and a positive kind of chaos. So what is this positive kind of chaos? The positive kind of chaos is that this is a state of immense spiritual potential that you simply do not have the proper vessels to contain at the moment. So it's not chaotic because everything broke and because your life is, in a, me is, a, is a mess. This is bohu, it's not tohu. This is negative low chaos. But the high kind of, the high version of chaos, which is called Tohu, means that this is, in a way, your future self, which you don't really understand because you're not there yet. So you, have, you get glimpses of it when you have inspiration to grow into your next stage, your next level. It's new lights, new understanding, new, um, new insights into who you are, who Hashem is, what the Torah is, what you need to do. But you don't have the vessels to contain them yet, so you're overwhelmed by them. But if you'll build the right vessels, then those lights will be contained, and they will be the next best thing. They will be your, the, the next step of your evolution. Not just our own personal evolution, but the evolution of the universe in general. These lights of chaos are the future potential of the world. And they're there from the very beginning. They come, and they immediately break the vessels and disappear in order to engrave within the world the memory that there's more to life than this, that there are amazing potential to be reached, that there are these amazing lights of higher levels of consciousness and higher levels of development that the world can grow into. They're there from the very beginning, but we don't have the vessels to contain them. We don't know what to do with them. We don't have the, the, the wisdom and the understanding and the 
and the and the learning and the and the maturity to contain them. So they come and they break. And the reason for this is that we then work as individuals and as a people and as humanity at large, the, the entire purpose of the world, the entire purpose of history is to construct the mature, sophisticated vessels of wisdom and understanding and knowledge and, and ethical behavior and rectified being, which then contains anew those incredible, beautiful lights. So see what happened here. We have two kinds of chaos. And we also, the, the Tohu is a higher one, Bohu is, is a lower one. We also have some interpreters saying both Toh and Bohu are low, a low kind of chaos, just something very primal that hasn't been, hasn't evolved yet. And you have other interpretations saying all of Toh Vavo is something very high. So you can, you can look at it either way. You can say it's either the entire thing Toh Vavo is very high or the entire thing is very low. You can also say, well, out of the two words, Tohu connotes or suggests the higher kind of chaos, which isn't really chaos. Uh, we just perceive it as chaos because we don't know what to do with it yet. And Bohu, in particular, connotes the, the, the second, the, the lower kind of chaos. Now, what do we do with all of this? How can we make sense of what is the really deep, and I'm talking from a psychological point of view, what is the deep connection between the lower chaos of our lives and the higher chaos, which is where we want to be? So the lower chaos of our lives, most of the time has to do with our physicality, with our weaknesses, with our sins, with our fallibility, with our, with our childhood, with the, the, our past experiences that have, are all gathering up inside as sort of a, an archive of all kinds of weird, negative, or, uh, uh, you know, experiences or ac actions that we did, and also some, all the negative things that we did in our lives. It's all there. This is the, the, the lower negative kind of chaos. It's our sins, and it's our faults, and it's our weaknesses, and it's where we're confused and we don't understand. But then there are also those higher, uh, those higher lights, and they have to do with who we can be, the higher potential version of who we are. How can we make this connection? So here I want to introduce an amazing, beautiful paragraph. Uh, I'm going to translate it. This is a paragraph written by Reb Usher Freund. Reb Usher Freund, this is, this is him. And this is a book of stories written by him, unfortunately, not, not to be found in English. Rebush um, Freund was a, a, a chassid in Yerushalayim, passed away about 12 years ago, uh, actually in Tishrei, at the Motzei Yom Kippur, when Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, ended at night. And, and I didn't have the merit to, to meet him, although I could, but I, I didn't realize what I was missing out on. And he was in many ways a master, a genius of, of psychology and of what is called in, in Hasidut lowliness. Lowliness is being connected to your faults and weaknesses in a way that you don't cheat yourself at all and you're extremely honest with yourself, but not in a way that makes you fall into depression, but the very opposite, in a way that makes you contain your, the lower levels of who you are and what you are, 
realize how how weak and dependent you are on divine life and inspiration on on Hashem on God to to sustain you and give you the 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 everything you need to survive in life how dependent you are how not independent how not independent you are and out of this to be strengthened and to come forth and to rise and to build your life which is really taking responsibility over your inner chaos this is really what it's all about so i'm going to read a couple of paragraphs that he himself wrote most most of this book is stories written about him but this is a two paragraphs coming out of his will the will that he wrote the last thing that he left us so i'm going to try and translate it uh, as I, as i go along so it says the purpose of man that was created in the image of god is that he will discover by himself the purpose of his life nobody can help him you have to do it on your own which is to come to the realization that the, at the foundation of his life there are many reasons and circumstances and here i have to mention that the word he uses is sibot sibot means reasons it also in a different version it also means circumstances but it also connects the surrounding higher lights that surround our world and our life and our consciousness and 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 lead us and guide us in our ways so there is he's talking about divine circumstances that help us survive each and every moment he's trying to make us realize that um everything we have is from above there's nothing that we are doing on ourselves really if anything we're just messing things up but every inspiration every bit of life every and and he wants us to he wants to put us into a into a state in which we're eternally grateful for whatever it is that we have and his presupposition is that once you have this consciousness almost all of your depression and your anxieties and your the heavy loads that you carry your burden is lifted because you realize that you should be grateful just for breathing and you realize how god is holding you up in each and every moment so i'm going to continue he says so that we have to figure out on ourselves the purpose of our life which is to realize that at the foundation of our life there are all kinds of reasons that sustain and hold you without without which you can't survive in, even for an instant even for a single breath and what are those reasons or, or circumstances so the answer the answer is that it's almost impossible to know what they are because we're so limited the only way to know them is by true and absolute submission by acknowledging the truth that out of the nothingness within us we cannot help ourselves and cannot um lift ourselves up and after realizing this one should not be ashamed of this at all so this is an amazing thing usually when people think about realizing how many faults and weaknesses you have they become ashamed but he says the exact exactly the opposite of what i'm saying the reason to really acknowledge and admit that you're so weak and limited and faulty is that you stop being ashamed of it that you realize that this is human existence this is what it is 
And when you embrace this, then you're able to do things because most of our problems begin by carrying around a false self-image. In many ways, this is the ultimate modern version of idolatry is that we're idolizing a kind of perfect or near-perfect image of ourselves and we need to let go of this. And it doesn't mean, and even someone who is always depressed and he says, I'm always, I'm so bad, I'm so, uh, whatever I do is wrong. That's not lowliness. That's, again, he's judging himself in comparison to some perfect image that he's, he feels he's not living up to. But he, we're, what, what Abushar is telling him is, let go of that image. You're not supposed to be that thing. Embrace your, 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 your limited self, your small, limited, weak self. So he says here, and don't be ashamed of it at all, because this is how you were born. Um, and this is how your life is. This is what life is. Because creation was created in a state of tohu vavo. And the, the main purpose or the main work, inner work, that a person is supposed to do is reach a stage, a state of tovavo himself. And out of his failures and failings, he'll come to acknowledge his creator in the most intimate and powerful sense imaginable. Because you come to acknowledge your creator only once you acknowledge that your inner chaos, your lower chaos, and realize that you have no bearing, no holding into your life without the will of God, which breathes life into you in each and every moment. As it is said, the entire soul should praise God. In Hebrew, the word soul is the same root as breathing. The soul is something you breathe in and out. So the sages interpreted uh, all the entire soul should praise God as in each and every breath that you take, you should bless God. So, um, this is one, one paragraph. There are more paragraphs, but I don't think I'm going to stop here because, uh, well, actually, I'm going to read a little bit more. He says, whoever he is that wishes to climb the ladder leading up to God knows fully well his faults and lives them, lives them. He, he experiences them intensely. And this is the source of his intimate connection to God, because he, re he understands how deeply in need of God he is, or she is, they are. And again, so again he says, one should never let go of acknowledging one's sins and faults, lest one forget one's inner tohu vavo, inner chaos. And from this state of chaos, Faith renews itself again and again. You can renew. This is a this is the the fountain of your faith, con being connected to your to your lowliness. So this is, I think, the the, mo the most beautiful um, description of how it is for us ecologically the lower kind of chaos or the interpretation according to which Tov Avo is low and the higher kind of chaos or the interpretation according to which Tov Avo is, is high 
are deeply, deeply connected. The only way we can grow and evolve and construct more mature and more sophisticated vessels that would contain our spiritual potential, our higher, higher spiritual potential, all the different lights of upper positive chaos that are still not contained within our consciousness, well, obviously, we need to learn and develop and grow and, and, and work on our relationships and, and work on everything that we have to do in our lives. But it's also very much dependent the, on, the, on being connected to the ground of our being. And the ground of our being is the fact that we're, our palace is built on this lowly, earthly level, which is our, our, our limited, faulty being. And being constantly connected to this, this helps us become, stop being judgmental of other people, not raise ourselves above anyone, and not be depressed or annoyed or angry at reality, not treating us the way we imagine it's supposed to be. We become free of the weight of our, of our self-image as righteous or high beings, and then we can actually become those righteous and high and spiritual beings. So the ground is connected, the lower chaos, and knowing it fully well, you know, taking off the, the, uh, the tiles that cover up, that hide this uh, hidden chaos is the key to, to opening up, you know, the skylight uh, that would let the light of our, of our highest levels of our, of our souls seep into our, into our consciousness and into our lives. So this is our uh, sort of the partial class for this week, and and uh, and our first in the series of learning the beginning of each parsha. This is how this is how we're starting this year. So may we all have a wonderful year, and we have much blessing, and we may we all grow and grow uh, through being connected, being grounded in the in the ground of our being.